I'm offering you to pay you in, you know, basically gold bars. Yeah. Right? Like if someone said, I'll give you one gold bar to do some work, you I'll might get into work. You might do a calculation of like how much is a gold bar worth versus the work, but like at the end of the day, you're not gonna say no to the gold bar. Let's just trust the universe will bring it back to us. It's just been really cool to participate in it. You don't participate in it, I do. This system is set up where the problem has been pushed all the way down to, we'll just call it in Roman terms, the plebs, right? The plebeians have this problem of, I wake up tomorrow, are they taking 20%? Are they taking 30%? Are they taking 40%? Are they, am I in Germany? Are they taking 50%? I gotta get out of Germany, but I can't because it's gonna cost me twice as much because they take half my money every year and I can't leave. You're listening to the Flirting with Bitcoin podcast. I'm Mandana. I'm Ian. That's Keon. And, and we're, we're the, the Recepies. My husband loves Bitcoin and once a week I let him talk my ear off about it. Yeah, I'm a real cheap date. Cheap maybe, but it's a lot of work. I'm gonna do something. May as well do it the best way possible. And Flirting with Bitcoin is audience funded without ads or sponsors. Mm-hmm. This ain't your grandma's podcast. This is podcasting 2.0. But we can't do this for free, babe. We have Bitcoin to buy and a new mouth to feed. <laughs> See? Our son agrees with me. If and when people enjoy the show, they can support us by giving us a review on Apple, Spotify, or wherever they're listening. They can share episodes on their social media, and of course, they can send us some money. Obviously, I prefer Bitcoin, and the best way to send us some is through our two favorite apps, Strike and Fountain. Ah, let's explain how that works at the end of the episode for anyone curious. Sure, babe. But I still like real money, and so if you want to support us... Babe, babe, Bitcoin is real money. Sure, but if you want to support us with old school money, go to flirtingwithbitcoin.com and subscribe. We offer monthly and yearly subscriptions that come out to less than a dollar an episode. To all our fountainheads out there, keep making and sharing clips of the show to cash in on our bounty program. Make that money, honey. Y'all ready? Hey, Keon, you ready, baby? Let's go. Hey, Ian. Hey, Mandana. Hola to Spain. Guten Tag, Germany. Awadi, Thailand. Hola, Brazil. Good day, Canada. And good day to the UK. Hola, Argentina. Buongiorno, Italy. Namaskar, Nepal. And, and howdy, howdy to, to Texas. Texas. And hello to all of our other listeners out there. The number's growing. Really? Like the number of different countries. How many? Uh, it caps out, but like a lot of people, a lot of countries are getting into the 1% range. Really cool. Yeah. Really cool. So yeah. Hi to everyone out there. Um, can I go on a tangent? Can I go on a tangent? Yes. All right. My tangent is I thought of the graphic for tangent queen. Yeah. I was actually looking up like the tangent symbols. Cause like, Ooh, it's been a minute since I was in geometry class. Um, what are you thinking? Uh, it's just a circle mm-hmm. with a crown sitting on top of the circle. Mm-hmm. And right where the crown touches the circle, you put a dot because that's a tangent. All right. That's nice. I like it. I want to talk about buy nothing groups. And this isn't something that only happens in America. It's a whole global movement. I think the website is buynothingproject.org. Um, but it is this movement to have locally based groups where Instead of going to buy something, you ask the group uh, if they have it to give it away for free. Or if you want to get rid of something that you own, you 
send it out to the group first before maybe trying to sell it or throw it away, especially throw it away. But I've been using it for the past few years, mostly to get rid of stuff. But lately, before I buy something, I think I've finally like gotten into the mental uh, mode where I'm comfortable asking strangers if they have something. And most recently, um, you know, we're going to start sending our son to my parents' house for a couple of days a week to for them to watch him. And your son? What about my son? Our son. Did I say my son? Sorry. I'm in work mode now. So when I talk about Keon, I'm talking about him to people who <laughs> didn't make him with me. So I needed to get a crib because my parents wanted to build one for him because they're like, there's nothing good enough for him out there to buy. We just want to make it. And I was like, no, 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 relax. I can probably find one for free. And in a single day, I had another mom in our neighborhood say, hey, I'm about to transition my kid out of their crib in a couple of weeks. Can I give it to you when we're ready? You know, we're not ready yet. And I was like, yeah, perfect. She, she told me what type of crib it was and it met our needs and we're going to pick it up today from her and her husband. And it's just so amazing because she bought this crib about two, three, four years ago. And she's raised two kids in it and there's nothing wrong with it. And instead of giving it away, we get to get it. And I think it's so cool. And the more and more I experience this or I give something away and someone's so excited to get it and they're like, hey, I'm going to use it for this. It just really shows you how much you don't need to participate in the current economy that we're in. And it's not even bartering. This is literally just, I don't need this. Do you want it? Or, hey, I need something. Do you have it? And you're not really using it. it it's like such a, a better way to live. And I'm still sometimes wanting to sell something instead of just giving it to the group. But it feels better to just to give it to the group, whether or not they're in need, right? Whether or not they can afford it or not. It's just, why would they go buy another one? If I have it sitting in our basement, I'm not using it. Especially baby stuff where it's like, oh, maybe hopefully we'll have another kid and let's keep it for that. When we don't even know, first of all, if it's going to happen, we don't know when it's going to happen. Let's just trust the universe will bring it back to us. It's just been really cool to participate in it. You don't participate in it. I do. So I don't know if you're feeling it the same way I do, but I really, really like the buy nothing group. And it's very different from Facebook marketplace. When you post something for free, it's a completely different vibe. Um, it's not local when you do it that way. It's like, you know, we live in a big metropolitan area. Um, but sometimes if I'm trying to get rid of something and I can't, I'll post it to Facebook Marketplace and ugh. The buy nothing culture, it's so localized that someone's like, yeah, I will walk a couple of blocks and pick this up. Yes, I'd rather do that than order something from Amazon and get it in two days. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm i glad you like the buy nothing group. I'm not I'm not in it, but uh, I agree with you. It's a much better way to like get stuff and give stuff, give stuff, get rid of stuff. I mean, obviously, I have some critiques on the Buy Nothing group as I watch you do it. But for the most part, it's definitely like a good system. And if you have a really good system, which I think our neighborhood does, because every like area, localized area has their own Buy Nothing group, right? Well, our specific neighborhood in D.C., Buy Nothing group participation was 
so much that they actually broke it up into four smaller groups because they were like, let's just make this easier for everyone. We'll make the area even shorter so that like, if you don't have a car, Mm -hmm. it's not going, you're not going to like, you know, be kind of wasting everyone's time trying to get something that you don't have access to because you don't post your address, you post your cross streets. Um, And then, you know, once someone messages you, you can uh, give them your address. But it's, it's a, it's really, really cool how many more people get involved in it. And, you know, I love when someone says, hey, guys, it's it's been a hard month. Like, does anyone have any extra like meat that I could um, give to my kids? To, and like everyone jumps in and is like, I have this. I have a frozen pack of this. Da, 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 da. We're actually about to go on a trip. We can give you this stuff. And it's just literally pulling you out of consumerism and thinking like before I go and either buy something or struggle without. Let me just see if someone else has something to give me. Yeah, I think I think the second half of that um is cultural. Like I think our culture definitely in the West, I won't say America because I think it's the West in, in, in general terms. Um, you know, our culture is kind of like asking for help implies like weakness. Mm-hmm. But I also think that like it, it in our culture like it flips. And if the if the trending environment is like, well, everyone's suffering, then it becomes more more and more and more and more okay to ask for help because you kind of know, well, everyone's asking for help right now. And I think that we're in that cycle of all of this, which is why you're probably seeing like an increase in the buy nothing group. Uh, you know, when we moved into this house, into this neighborhood, um, it was in the middle of COVID. Yeah. And while some people thrived during COVID, not everyone Most thrived. Some people didn't, yeah. I mean, some people did though, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like, I think it's great. Like, I support it. Um, my main critique is that because stuff is free, people tend to be a little more flaky. Yes. <laughs> so, like, you'll say, I'll give you something, and they say, I'll come get it, and then they don't come for, like, four or five days. It's like... I thought we had a social contract that yeah. I will put this in this place for you to you to come pick up. But because it's free, there's no real forcing function that, that says to someone, I've created an obligation to go do this thing. Right. And that's what I've observed the most. Like, I don't really care. Like, if you don't want something, you don't pick it up. I'm going to throw it away eventually. Yeah. So, like, whatever. Ian's ready to throw it away. I mean... And I'm like, no, no, no. Let me see if someone needs it. <laughs> I mean, certain things like if you want to put it in the buy nothing group, I'm fine with that. But uh, and this is like a massive tangent at this point. But like, I think that the buy nothing group and Bitcoin have a relationship. And I think the relationship is that the reason why, for example, someone like myself is like, I don't even feel like doing the work to like give it away. Mm-hmm. Like if you want to. I know you don't. Great. Yeah, I'm willing to do the work. If you're willing to do the work, great. But the reason why I'm not willing to do the work is because like I don't know what something is actually worth. Right? Like it might be worth $100 to me and then people come in and lowball me. I'm like, I, I didn't put a price on this for you to lowball me. I put the price on it what I think it's worth. Mm-hmm. And I think we've experienced, uh, you know, some people like to haggle. But I think we've experienced this like concept of if someone is trying to sell something or get rid of something, like they're doing it because they need the money. And so I'm going to be, for lack of a better term, like I'm going to be a shark and I'm going to get the best deal possible. So I'm going to like try to knock $20 off of this thing. It's like if you got to knock $20 off this thing, like you don't need it. Right. Right. So like don't haggle with me. 
Like if I say it's a hundred dollars, it's a hundred dollars, and I will I will actually not sell it to you yeah. versus drop it twenty dollars because I, I'm not here to like cut deals. Yeah. Um, and so I think when when the way I would tie that back to Bitcoin is me as a Bitcoiner, I'll cut a deal if you'll give me Bitcoin. Yeah. Because I have a different value for Bitcoin versus dollars. Like I won't deal in dollars. Like I ask for hundred dollars, I want a hundred dollars. But if you want to give me fifty dollars worth of Bitcoin, I actually don't care where you got it from. Maybe you just have fifty dollars in a strike account and you're just gonna send it to me. Maybe it's fifty dollars worth of Bitcoin you bought and you're actually sending me real Bitcoin. I don't care. So but I'll, someone I'll, else sending you their Bitcoin is more worth like fifty dollars of Bitcoin being sent to you is worth more than someone giving you seventy dollars and you buying Bitcoin with that. Out of principle, yes. Out of principle, okay. So it's principle. not like oh, because, because someone else bought that Bitcoin, it's more valuable because like it can't be traced back to you. I thought maybe that's what you were saying. I mean, that's like a very small part of it. I don't really care about that part, but that is a part of of like send me Bitcoin versus dollars. Mm-hmm. The reason why I'm saying like. I value someone sending me Bitcoin versus dollars because I know that I'm now having an interaction with a Bitcoiner. Mm-hmm. And I would rather cut deals with Bitcoiners than no coiners or fiat maximalists or whatever you want to call them, right? <laughs> like I'm not cutting deals in dollars anymore because I know what Bitcoin is worth. One of us. One of us. Because you're literally <laughs> trading at that point. If you think about this, right? If you think about what Bitcoin really is, you are literally trading the most scarce asset on the planet for baby clothes or whatever this deal is that we're striking. So I will give you anything for the most scarce asset on the planet. Like I'm winning in that trade. Yeah, but this is selling stuff versus I'm just giving stuff away or getting stuff for free. I got this really great changing table. It was solid wood. It was ugly and a little busted. And your girl, guys, listen, your girl... Went to Ace Hardware, got stuff, and fixed it, and spray painted it, and now it's like really chic. It's in our living room. I think I spent maybe twenty dollars, and I had gotten it for free. That's great. Yeah, I'm all for that. Yeah, I think that I think things like that are great. You just converted labor instead of dollars. Yeah, you converted time instead of dollars. That's fine. Yeah, nice little side project. But I got I got like the foundation of that project for free, which, you know, I, I wanted to bring this up because it's another change in relationship with like goods and services, consumerism, whatever you call it that I've been experiencing, but it's also a growing movement around the world. It's been happening for like, I think more than a decade. It, I don't necessarily think it's growing because of COVID. I think it was growing because of like waste and like the frustration around consumerism and consumption and those types of things. I'm sure COVID was an accelerant. Sure. But I think this has been going around for a long time. And I think for it to have started a while ago and for there to be people who were not in need that set this stuff up, I think that's really interesting. And I think it's nice to, even if you're able to afford something, to ask your neighbors, hey, do you guys have this before I go and buy it? Because not because... And and it's like, I, I don't feel shame for asking for it because it's like, I've bought so much baby stuff. I don't want another cardboard box to come into my house for no reason. If you have something sitting in your house that you're like, oh, how am I going to get rid of this? Which I think is the story of everyone period. And I think the more that we engage in a culture of just giving stuff away or asking for things, um, the less likely we're going to hoard, right? Like the older generations are hoarders. 
I think our our generations may be less so. We'll see in a couple of decades how that pans out. Um, but we don't need stuff in our house if we know, hey, if we constantly get it reinforced that, hey, someone else could use this right now. Maybe I'll need it in five years, but someone else could use it right now. So let me just give it to them. And if I need it again, I will log into Facebook, enter the group, and I'll say, hey, does anyone have this? Yeah. I think for me, the biggest thing is logging into Facebook. I know. Uh, I have a Facebook account. <laughs> I know. For for real reasons. Good job. Um, it's the way to live. But right yeah, I mean, I support the Buy Nothing group and I support the movement. And I'm pretty sure if, if we did a little digging, we would find that its origin started in the last financial crisis. I'm on their website right now. Um And it looks like it started with two friends living in the Pacific Northwest. Ah, those crunchy granolas. Yeah. Yeah. And they started the Buy Nothing Project. We'll say 08, 09, 2010 at the latest. Actually, you're wrong. It started in 2013. And it was uh, founded by two anti-waste advocates. I mean, a decade ago, I don't know. I guess 2013 is like digging out of the recession. I know that there was another similar movement called like free something. Free cycle. Free cycling. And so it's probably similar, but the Buy Nothing movement has like pretty strict rules. Um, It's it's very uh, structured. And so there's probably a lot of this happening outside of like the formal Buy Nothing project because they're, they have like organizers their admins for each of these communities and it, it also talks about safety and also like what you're talking about if you get ghosted by someone pretty often they can get kicked out of the group or also if they get caught selling something that they've gotten like and putting it on ebay i forget you know it, it's kind of like come on let's be nice about this gotta so, have police yeah um but it does make it feel like a safer space to like say hey i come here on my porch i'm leaving this for you so it's I really like it. I'm a fan. You should definitely check out the Buy Nothing group in your community. It probably exists and you didn't know. Or you can start one up if it sounds good to you. Uh, Or if you just know your neighbors, tell them the project and the idea behind it. And if you have stuff to get rid of in your house, like ask people around you if they want it. And it'll feel so good to get rid of it. And also know that like your things are getting a second or third life. That's the best like feeling of of all of it is when someone is like, yes, I could use this for my kids like arts and craft project or yes, I've been meaning to fix something that this will let me do it. Um, We're giving away a uh, old door fence or fence door. (laughs) Um, And the person that's coming to pick it up hopefully today is so excited about it. And it just makes me so happy because it's been sitting there for like six months in our backyard. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah, it has. It's been sitting there for six months. And I'm like, wow, this... This is going to solve a huge problem in this person's life. Like, yeah, clean out your stuff, give away your stuff uh, so that you can move uh, onto sunny Bitcoin Island without a lot of baggage. How do you like that transition from that tangent? 20 minute tangent. Whatever. What time is it, babe? Current time is 806-662. We are approximately 1,518 blocks since our last recording. And if I give you $1, how many acres could I get on Bitcoin Island? Today, you could get 3,887 acres, a.k.a. Satoshis, on sunny Bitcoin Island. And what about other tangible things? Eggs, beef, gas. Well, on Bitcoin Island, there is no buy nothing group. So these all these things cost money. <laughs> um, 
Eggs are 4,315 Satoshis for a dozen. Ground beef is 13,987 Satoshis for a pound. And gasoline is 10,294 Satoshis for a gallon. This is all according to Priced in Bitcoin21.com. What's wrong, babe? I don't know. I guess I'm worried I'm not saving enough money in Bitcoin. Aren't we all? You don't seem worried. Like with most things, you just got to set a goal and work towards it. But even with a goal, the price of Bitcoin changes so much, it's hard to keep track. I understand. That's why I created the Satoshi Savings Calculator. And how can that help? First, you decide how much Bitcoin you want to acquire. One Bitcoin. Great. Then you got to decide how much time you want to give yourself to acquire that Bitcoin. Before the next halving, duh. That's also great because the calculator only lets you pick halving dates. Anything else I need to enter? Just how often you want to buy and which currency you want to use. Oh, so rather than buying it all at once? To loosely quote Desmond Tutu, if you want to save a whole Bitcoin, you got to do it like you eat an elephant. One bite at a time. That's gross, Ian. But true. Focus, babe. Where can I find this calculator? The pod's website, flirtingwithbitcoin.com. Wait, you haven't been to the website yet? Um, Let's get back to the show. Thank you so much for the info, babe. Okay, Ian, the floor is yours. What do you want to talk about today? So today I like to talk about getting paid in Bitcoin. You know, we've been searching for a podcast editor for the past couple of weeks now. And in talking to potential applicants, uh, the conversation always kind of came to the same point of me offering to pay them in Bitcoin and them being either hesitant or like skeptical because it doesn't really on the surface, makes sense. Is that because they're worried about the fluctuation in the price of Bitcoin? Like, do they say what the hesitation stems from? Well, in this particular, for this particular group of people, we have another group of people that are going to be working on our next couple of episodes. But for this group of people, I found them on Upwork, which is a freelancing site. And so these aren't actual Bitcoiner Bitcoiners. These are just freelancers. Um, But in talking, it's like when I understand how Upwork works, it's like if I pay you through Upwork, Upwork takes a cut. Mm -hmm. If I pay you outside of Upwork, whether it's PayPal or Bitcoin, they don't take a cut, right? But if I pay you in Bitcoin, in my opinion, that's a no-brainer. But I think for someone who is just kind of learning about Bitcoin or is kind of like Bitcoin curious, if you will. You mean flirting with Bitcoin? Exactly. (laughs) Um, The idea of getting paid in Bitcoin doesn't make complete sense. And to me, I think that today's discussion should be about why getting paid in Bitcoin, especially as a freelancer, should be a no-brainer. And why especially as a freelancer? So I thought about this a lot as I was writing out the notes. And there's two real, there's two main reasons why you should be a freelancer who gets paid in Bitcoin. And I'm not going to say his name, but one of the guys that uh, edited our episodes, uh, he's in India. Also, apparently, I don't know, Tangent, did you know India's like trying to change their name? I did not. Yeah. So they're having a G20 meeting right now. And they sent out all the little like, I guess, placards that go on the table or whatever. Yeah. And India's card is... Uh, is it Hindonistan? Isn't that... I think that's like the original name. You don't know? Okay. That's not the information that I'm trying to convey to you right now. Okay. <laughs> so what they put on the card is Bahra, which is India's historical name before the Brits came in and said, you're now India. Ah, okay. So this just happened last week. 
little tangent for you. Um, countries are changing names. It happens. That's the last thing you do when you're, when you're free from your oppressors. Um, or whatever you want to call it, colonizers. So anyway, he's in India. And we were talking- it's Hindustan, but- I just wanted to correct that. I'm still probably pronouncing it wrong. But that is... The land of Hindus. Yeah. And it's the Persian language name for India. <laughs> so that's what we call India in Iran. <laughs> so my bad. I, I hope I didn't upset anyone. That's the name that the Persian Empire had when they controlled a piece of India. Yeah. It's what yeah. we still call them. <laughs> so anyways. anyways. <laughs> um, so he's in India and he said to me, he was like, oh, Bitcoin's illegal here paraphrasing but that's pretty much what he said and i was like that's not true he was like what do you mean i was like oh they can say it's illegal and they might make it really hard for you to buy it using your rupees but you can just work for bitcoin and they can't stop you from trading your labor for bitcoin Mm -hmm. if i want to pay you in bitcoin you want to get paid in bitcoin outside of this website like there's nothing anyone can do They cannot like it. They can complain, but they can't actually stop you. Mm -hmm. And so because of that, like Bitcoin is the people's money. Like it is the people's money. If I want to work with a person in India, I don't have to worry about converting my dollars into rupees and all of the nonsense that that entails. Nor do I have to worry about like, well, this guy is working through a third party website and they're going to jack him for 15, 20 percent when I pay him. So he's not even getting paid. What he's charging. But then it's not a tax write-off for us if you don't report it. And or everyone on that site is upping their fees because Upwork is taking a cut. Right. So this is what I was getting at, though. Bitcoin is the people's money. Tax write-off aside, Bitcoin is honest money because I don't have to report it. He doesn't have to report it, right? That decision is made. By the individual. If you get paid through a third-party system like Upwork, oh, they're reporting you. You don't have a say in it. Right. So I, I guess I don't want us to talk too much about the employer's point of view in this. Like, right, you're talking about getting paid in Bitcoin. But what are the benefits to an employer paying someone in Bitcoin? Just so that we're clear. You said you don't want to talk about <laughs> employers, and then you asked the follow-up question about employers. No, because I think like if people want to get paid in Bitcoin, mm-hmm. how do they convince their employer to pay them in Bitcoin? I'm not talking about that. It's just if someone's offering it. If you someone take is it. offering to pay okay. you in Bitcoin, you should take it. Now, that being said, there are websites and systems in place where you can get paid in Bitcoin and your employer has no idea that that's happening. Right. Right. You give them a routing number and an account number. Everything looks the same to them, but that ends up getting deposited in a place as Bitcoin for you. Right. You could do that. But, you know, my buddy um, who just moved back from Texas, like this is one of the things that we were talking about on the car ride. And he was like, well, until major corporations are paying people in Bitcoin, like no one's getting paid in Bitcoin. And I think there's a little nuance there. He's not wrong. No major corporation is paying any of their employees in Bitcoin. Maybe a couple of these Bitcoin companies are offering it, but it's not Microsoft. It's not Apple. And I don't think that they're going to offer that until people who exchange their labor for money demand it. Just like right now, what we're experiencing is, oh, you want to hire people? You better have a work from home policy. Mm Mm-hmm. 
right? Like if you're talking about like a desirable candidate, not some slacker, but like, you know, a desirable candidate and they go, yeah, by the way, I'm not coming into the office. I'm working from home five days a week. You as the employer have to decide how important that is to you. Labor, for the most part, it's a small window right now, but labor has the advantage. Kind of. I feel like there's a big battle going on. There is a big battle and not everyone has the same leverage, but we just saw UPS workers get like... Yeah, they, right? they have okay. extreme power. Okay, but that's because... Good for them. That's Congratulations to them. I don't know the details around why that is, but someone put in a lot of work to get it to that point, right? Where in the middle of, depending on who you talk to, a recession, these guys got pay increases. And I think one person said they're making like $180,000 a year. Some people are like, like, I'm not sure. I just remember what they asked for. They immediately got because if they went on strike even a day, it would collapse. Exactly. The country would collapse. Now imagine that same group of people demanding to be paid in Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. They would pay them in Bitcoin immediately. So if we could get UPS drivers to understand how Bitcoin works at their next negotiating meeting, they go, you're not paying me in this printed money anymore. I don't care where you get it from. I don't care if you have to borrow dollars to go buy Bitcoin. I don't care. But you cannot pay me in this counterfeited money anymore. Mm-hmm. Bet you they find the Bitcoin to pay all those drivers. I bet you they do. And that's what I'm talking about is until labor understands what Bitcoin is really worth, then yeah, no one's going to force the issue. But we see what's happening right now with work from home. And we see what's happening right now with a lot of these other companies that are like making concessions that they weren't making pre-COVID, let alone 10 years ago. And now it's like, oh, wait a minute. I'll have no workers because somebody is offering all those things. Okay, okay, okay. What about one day a week? Will you come in one day a week? It's like, no. Okay, we'll give you 10% raise if you come in one day a week. Okay, maybe, right? You got negotiating power. But if someone is offering you upfront to pay you in Bitcoin, number one, you are going to get paid the exact amount of money that you said I want to be paid in, right? Versus, you know, you get a pay stub, I get a pay stub. We see a number that we got and then there's a bunch of things. No, that's not really how much we get paid. There's a bunch of things that get knocked off of that before we actually see money land in our bank account. And what I'm saying is that Bitcoin being an honest person's money is, no, pay me that number. I'll pay my taxes. I'll pay all those things. But I want all my money first. Mm-hmm. You don't get to take my money before I see it. Yeah. And that's the world that we all live in. That's the world that uh, uh, Bitcoin, it's not explicitly fighting against that. But in a world where you have to pay me a Bitcoin, there's, uh, I'm sure somebody will figure out a way. But at the moment, there's no way that like I pay you in Bitcoin but 35% of it goes to the federal government also. I mean, I feel like payroll software would figure that out. <laughs> it could. It could. But my point is that I think in a world where Bitcoin wins, the relationship of taxes to citizens has to change. You can't just take 30% of my wages before I ever see it. Yeah. But because all of our money has to go through this third party, just like Upwork, we're basically all getting paid through Upwork is my mm. point. We just see it. We don't see it as Upwork taking a cut. It's the federal government taking a cut. It's the same premise. So I would argue that if I were an employer in, let's say, El Salvador, 
or let's say someplace that was Bitcoin friendly, and I have this global talent pool, hey man, whatever you want to report to your country, that's on you. But you say a number, I'm going to pay you that number. There's no one skimming off the top between me and you. I just don't know enough about payroll laws if that's how it works. Um, But bringing it back to the conversation you were having with these freelancers, what were they saying in their hesitation? Or was that conversation leading to anything? Or were they kind of like, I'm good? I mean, one guy, he got it eventually. Another guy, he's definitely would take a little bit more work. I think everyone gets the general idea. It's just that if you don't value Bitcoin, then that offer doesn't mean as much to you. Right? It doesn't mean as much to you if I'm offering you to pay you in, you know, basically gold bars. Yeah. Right? Like if someone said, I'll give you one gold bar to do some work, you I'll might get into work. You might do a calculation of like how much is a gold bar worth versus the work, but like at the end of the day, you're not gonna say no to the gold bar, right? Like maybe you'll say no because you don't know what to do with a gold bar. Can you give it to me in a thousand coins or something, right? But like the value that's attached to Bitcoin does not map to its actual value. And that's why I was saying earlier about like I'll negotiate with a Bitcoiner. You want to like come in and lowball me or whatever because at the end of the day, you're still trading one of the most scarcest things on the planet for whatever it is that you're lowballing me on, right? But if you're trying to lowball me with dollars, nah, buddy. Like the thing that I have is more valuable than the dollars. That's why I put the price on it that I did. So, um, so yeah, I mean, like freelancers in general, uh, you know, and 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 all workers really, like, we have a way to work for each other and pay each other, and then we get to decide who knows about that. And the way that things are set up right now is that if you work for a corporation, you just get money taken away right away. You have no say in that. Everyone knows. It's like not a secret. And everyone knows, right? Everyone knows your business, literally. And on top of that, like if you don't work for a major corporation and you're getting paid through things like Venmo and PayPal, well, they've knocked the reporting requirements down on them to like $600. So it's like they want to know every dollar that you're making. I think that's the more important piece of this is that they want to know things Especially when $600 is nothing. Yeah, they say it's for anti-money laundering. You're like, are you kidding me? Why? If you're laundering money $600 at a time, you are a bad money launderer. (laughs) In this economy, with this level of inflation. Yeah, I think that's the piece of it where um, I think next tax cycle, it's really going to hit people how much they need to be reporting. Well, yes and no. Because the laws changed last last year or or it's changing this year. We'll see. I think it's... I think it's next April when it, the $600 lim- dollar limit goes in for PayPal and Venmo and all of that. We'll see. I, I think you're, I'm pretty certain you're correct yeah. on the timing, but I also think that it's not going to go into effect then. I think there's a decent amount of pushback on this that it's going to get delayed and hopefully like not enacted at all. But as it stands right now, yes. Like there is a date in the future where PayPal and Venmo will start reporting you as 1099 income. They're going to snatch on everything that's over $600. And like, and here's why they will do that is because they only exist because they're allowed to exist. 
because they are part of the current financial system. And they're a huge money mover. They're a huge money mover. And if they want to be able to move money, they have to comply with every law that gets passed and assigned to them, which, you know, that's technically why we create laws. But when some laws are ridiculous or, you know, as some founding father would probably say, like unjust or whatever, well, they're not going to be the ones that say, well, we're not going to comply. It's up to the individuals to, quote unquote, not comply. Rise up. So... My thing, again, going back to why you want to be paid in Bitcoin, is that someone is offering to pay you in the most rare thing on the planet. It's like if someone said, I'll pay you in Michael Jordan rookie cards, or I'll pay you in NBA championship rings. Like, it's on that level. Like, there is a value. You're personally not assigning a value to it because you don't understand the value of Bitcoin. But if you did understand the value of Bitcoin and someone offered to pay you in it, you would take it. So it's a very easy, it's a simple litmus test for how much of a Bitcoiner someone is. Like if, if my job came to me and said, Ian, we heard you're a Bitcoiner. Um, <laughs> you wish. Would you, would. <laughs> like, would you like to get paid in Bitcoin? I would say yes immediately. And then they would probably say something ridiculous like, okay, well, we're still going to take out payroll taxes and all that fun stuff. And I would say, well, then no, thank you. Because you're not actually solving my problem. Um, I think a way to ease into this for freelancers is to get... of your payment through Bitcoin and then 25% through fiat or like whatever you need for like spending money versus savings and just have that split happen in your income when you get paid out so that like you can ease into this, especially if you're not able to spend that Bitcoin where you live yet. I think that's a nice approach because if you're getting Bitcoin and you can't convert it back, what's the point? Well, again, everybody's situation is different. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that's really, you know, I come with that understanding of like, if you don't know anything about Bitcoin, it might be hard for you to understand what you need to do next, even if you say yes, right? So I get that. Also, if you're in India and all the issues there, I get that. Um, but as a freelancer, in my opinion, I could be wrong. Every last penny counts. In any way that you can get any middleman out of your money the better. That's true. So like, again, Bitcoin is directly from me to you. There's no middleman. If you have to pay taxes on your income, that's on you to report your taxes on the income or not. Be honest or not be honest. That's your choice. The world we live in, you're basically robbed every time you get paid. And if you're you're a good citizen, you get some of your money back once a year. Like no one thinks of it that way. But like people who are celebrating like income tax return refund checks, you're hustling backwards. <laughs> you're hustling backwards. You're like excited that they're giving back the money. Or you to just you. pay too much. No, it doesn't. There's there's no there's no concept of too much. No, I'm saying that's why you're getting a refund. You just overpaid. No. It's not like you found some like loophole. No, 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 well, it's not necessarily that like you applied the right credit or subsidy or whatever. I hear what you're saying, but my core point is that. Any money that leaves my possession before I get it is too much. That's like from a principled standpoint, you know, the line is taxation is theft, right? I don't think taxation is theft. I think we do need taxes. I think we do need to pay for certain services like defense and police and fire and all that fun stuff. Paving, trash pickup. Sure. There are services that need to be paid for. But what I disagree with is that you take it from me. I don't pay it. You take it from me and yeah. then you give it back 
what you decide is left over based on whatever laws you changed for the year. That I disagree with. Give me my full amount of money. Let me live my life my entire year on the full amount of money. Let me opt out of social security. I'm never going to use it. I mean, I don't know if like those are different problems. I know. But my point is, is that like if someone says they make $100,000 a year, we all know they don't make $100,000 a year. Mm -hmm. They do not have a lifestyle of $100,000 a year. They have a lifestyle of $70,000 a year or 65, right? Like, so, because here's the thing, right? Like, here's why I, I think that that change is important. Right now, we're in like this financial situation where the United States is spending more money than it's bringing in in taxes. So they borrow the difference, right? But the money that it's bringing in in taxes, a large percentage of that was just taken, If they had to actually go around and ask for money at the end of every year because they had taken zero, then it starts to make more sense of like, y'all are spending a lot of money, right? But because it leaves your paycheck every time you see it, like you don't even, it doesn't even add up to you in your head, A, how much they're taking and B, that wasn't enough to cover it. Also, (laughs) I'll bring it a step further. You took like... A Camry's worth of money for me. <laughs> You're yeah, saying that wasn't enough? That. The IRS goes after uh, lower and middle income Americans. It does not go after major corporations or the wealthy, which is crazy to me. Like they want to make sure that the worker bees of the country are the ones that consistently pay their taxes and don't do anything to evade them because it's easier to get money from us. It's harder to get money from the wealthy who have figured out loopholes, not as sophisticated as Bitcoin, but tried and true. And so they're not even consistently collecting taxes where they'd have more bang for their buck because those aren't through payroll. So they're already like they've already given up. Yeah, because they don't take their money from those people first. Exactly. So that's my point. Exactly. That is my point. Like, But they will investigate and <laughs> send you to jail if you owe like $1,000 in taxes and go a couple of years without paying them. They do it all the time. It's crazy. And the IRS has been like beefing up their, uh, their workforce to have more agents <laughs> to work on the taxes of the middle class. It's insane to me. I'm like... What are your accountants saying? Because your accountants are probably saying like hiring this many people with this much of a salary is not going to like we're not going to recoup the funds. They're not. Because <laughs> middle America doesn't have any money. We're not, not middle America. Middle class Americans. They're, middle America as well. <laughs> they're, yeah, they're, they're, they're not going to they're not going to cover the cost of the increase in 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 staff. Like yeah, it's just not the operations. Cost. The math doesn't math. It doesn't. And it's not supposed to. And this, to me, is just another example, another clue, another piece of the puzzle of what's really going on. Why are they hiring so many people to go after so many people to collect money that they can literally create out of thin air? What is this Rube Goldberg machine? (laughs) The other piece of it, like, or just a note, just a positive note, is that for years in America... There have been the software companies that will say, they're called like TurboTax. There's a couple of other ones where they're like, just pay us $50, we'll do your taxes. And other countries, so in America, if you don't live in America, you don't know this, the US government says, here, you figure out how many taxes you owed this year and then pay them to us. 
and show us your math. And then if you don't pay enough, we'll come after you. So they know how much we owe, but they wait for us to first tell them. Whereas other countries will be like, hey, this is how much you owe in taxes. Like, you know, we, we did it for you. So instead this year or this or this upcoming tax cycle, they have, I think, made their own like similar software that's going to do it like on their own website. Like the healthcare website? I don't know. I haven't seen the website yet. It's not going to work. We'll see. It's not. We'll see. Zero chance. If it doesn't work, maybe we don't have to pay our taxes. That's not going to be the case, right? (laughs) It's never the case. Like they messed up. You still had to pay your health insurance, right? Like you still had to have insurance. You still had to go get insurance, even though the Obama website didn't work. Uh, Whatever. Healthcare.gov didn't work for like years. Mm -hmm. So like, no, like they're never responsible. They, They never, they never are their decisions have no effect on them. Like they can come up with an idea that's completely bass backwards and completely wrong. And everyone goes along with it. And at the end of the day, they go, well, that didn't work. If only we had had more money. Well, guess what? You can create as much money as you want. Why are you taxing me? Why are you taking my money? Just create more. You've already told me that you're going to inflate the money supply. You created a nice big building full of people to do that. Why do you got to take 30% of my money and still inflate the money supply? <laughs> like, why? what is going on here? And without Bitcoin, you know, without Bitcoin, it's not as obvious is, is my point, right? Because it's like, well, what's the alternative? Exactly. Yeah. And so without Bitcoin, it's like, well, it's some derivative of that where you're going through PayPal or Venmo or Zelle or whatever, right? Like there's all these money money transfer mechanisms, but you're still transferring these basically counterfeit dollars. With Bitcoin, if I send you Bitcoin, the network tells me this is not counterfeit, right? Like that is the point of Bitcoin is that when you receive a Bitcoin transaction and it clears, that is real legit money. No one created it out of thin air. Maybe someone created some dollars out of thin air because they borrowed to buy the Bitcoin to send it to you, right? But that's not <laughs> that's your not problem. That's your problem. That's their problem, right? And so my point is that like this system is set up where the problem has been pushed all the way down to, we'll just call it in Roman terms, the plebs, right? The plebeians have this problem of, I wake up tomorrow, are they taking 20%? Are they taking 30%? Are they taking 40%? Are they? Am I in Germany? Are they taking 50%? I got to get out of Germany, but I can't because it's going to cost me twice as much because they take half my money every year and I can't leave. So uh, as a freelancer, back to the point, every penny matters. And I'm not saying you should get paid in Bitcoin to evade taxes. I'm saying that you should get paid in Bitcoin and do the right thing if you need to report it for taxes or whatever purposes, but you're going to get all of your money. There's no middleman cutting, taking their cut before you get your money for doing the work that you did. Now, I know a lot of people are going to argue and say, well, Upwork built this website and the website has maintenance costs and they're just taking a cut to like cover the cost of running the website. Sure, that is possible. Charge a subscription. If, if I want to be a freelancer on your site, I'll pay you. Right. But you don't just get to take a percentage of all the money that I make for your site. Yeah. Like, you're trying to be a mini federal government at that point. You're tr- you're taxing all the labor that's happening. Also, you're not helping me get a job. I mean, they they have their own ways of doing that, but no, they're not, right? And nor do they bring the skills. Like I have the actual skills. You created a marketplace. I think that marketplace has value, but I think that you should price it and I'll decide if that price is the appropriate price. Right. Not 
if I make $10,000 through your website, you're going to make $1,000 off of me? It must be nice. Must be nice. So for you guys who aren't getting it, um, I've just been quoting Hamilton <laughs> this whole episode. I'm a big Hamilton fan. And uh, Keon has fallen in love with um, Encanto, uh, the soundtrack. And it's Lin-Manuel Miranda. And so I'm just trying to like play the Hamilton soundtrack a little bit more around him because I need some grown-up music. <laughs> And I feel bad for Ian. Um, I do love that Bruno song, though, but um, I never thought I'd be listening to it like eight times a day and singing it for him Yeah, because I'm just a little show monkey for him. You don't have to be a show monkey, but, you know, someone is probably going to do it. So why not you? It's it, I was born to do it. Um. <laughs> so the producer, editor, Hunt, it's going well. What have you learned about our podcast? About our podcast? Yeah. Um, I've learned that our podcast is good. You've learned that? I mean, I feel like it's good, I mean, right? You, I would hope you believed in it. But multiple people have commented like, oh, you guys actually have a pretty good show already. Well, that's like nice. that's been the, the, the general comment. Now, obviously, like, and, you know, they're trying to get the job, though. Sure. But like a lot of people that who haven't listened to what I said, I had a podcast and then eventually do. They're like, Oh, it's like a real thing. I thought it was just you two, like just talking, yeah. which is like, it is, but like there's some production value. here. You know, right? there's so many jokes, like guys with podcasts. It's like a very common joke on the internet mm -hmm. um, or people with podcasts, not just men. And I'm always like, I have a podcast. <laughs> Well, and I think like it's just lumped up with a bunch of people. I mean, no disrespect to them. I think podcasts are a lot of fun where there's just two people talking, especially if they're comedians. Um, but yeah, probably like I, I would hope that, you know, as we keep going, we're almost finishing year two. Um, we become a more legitimate podcast and not one that like people just roll their eyes at when they hear that we have one. Well, you know, I don't care that people roll their eyes, actually. We've been doing this podcast for about over a year and a half now. I've listened to a lot of podcasts. What would you want listeners of podcasts to know about podcasting? Like consumers of podcasts? I mean, so like we do our show a certain way. And our show is, I would put it more in the like improv comedy uh, bucket. So you're saying I'm a comedian? If that's what you need to hear, it sure. It is. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I would say ours is more improv in the sense that, like, we edit out a lot of stuff that just doesn't sound good. Mm -hmm. We make cuts. We make deep cuts to our show before we publish it. There might be whole conversations that we had that we just cut out. We're like, that doesn't make sense. I think people roll their eyes at podcasts because a lot of people don't do that. A lot of people just press record, talk for two hours, and hit publish. Yeah. And I think... You know, that was actually one of your first critiques. I hate podcasts like that. That was actually one of your first critiques of specifically Bitcoin podcasts is that it's just two dudes. And I'm not critiquing this. I'm just saying like this was Monlin's comment and why we started our podcast is that it's just two dudes on a Zoom call talking about Bitcoin. There's nothing wrong with that, but it'll sometimes take like 30 or 40 minutes to get that one nugget versus me who goes and gets all those nuggets and just kind of throws all the nuggets at you in a more condensed form. And I eat them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Um, but 
But in doing that, there's a lot of things that we just cut where it's like, that's not important or that doesn't make sense or that doesn't sound right or feel right. And I think that's why when people eventually hear it, they go, oh, that's not what I was expecting. Yeah. So like hiring someone to do the editing is an addition to that. But it's also a step back because now we have to like, quote unquote, train this person to, to instinctively make those types of cuts that we were making. And that's really what we've been doing for the past two weeks is like, you can cut more. You can cut more. Yeah. Tighten this up. Yeah. Like, yeah, you're not hurting sure. my feelings, right? Yeah. And I know that a lot of other people are like, why'd you take that out? Why'd you take that out? Why'd oh, you, take you that think out? so? I mean, this is what one of the comments of one of the guys that was doing the editing for mm-hmm. us has made is like, people get upset if you take out too much. And I'm like, oh, if I listen to what you edited and I don't hear anything missing, that's great. Yeah. You know, I also like wonder if you are, again, like if, if you like to consume really long podcasts, I think some people just want to feel like they're listening in on, on a conversation or they're like hanging out with two people and they're just like not engaging in the conversation, but they're listening. Right. So I think like the length aspect is works in the favor for some people, but I just know that for me, like I, I need a beginning, middle and end. That's, I think, I feel like that shows some respect to somebody who's like tuning in to listen to something. And like respect of time, I think is really important. Um, Respecting our listeners' time, but also respecting each other's time and like you not rambling on about something that's not clicking for me and me not going on a tangent ramble. Look at all these, like, yeah, I know. Tangent ramble could be another t shirt idea. You know, they're just, they're just, ideas are flowing out of me. But uh, yeah, we'll see where it goes. We just crossed over 100 uh, subscribers to the newsletter, which is like, I guess, a milestone. So thank you to everyone who has gone to flirtingwithbitcoin.com and, you know, just subscribes to the newsletter. Right now, all that happens is you get an email notification saying the episode was published. Um, But hopefully as we hire someone to do the editing, rather than me having to do the editing, we could actually put more information out through that newsletter, which I would argue is like the next step of the podcast, which is there's more stuff happening when you're not listening to us. Sounds great, babe. I cannot wait. Episode is going well, yeah? I think so. Wish I had the time to make some clips to promote it. Yeah, but you don't. That's why we pay our listeners to do that. Mm, How does that work again? When someone makes a clip on Fountain, we send them some sets. But give me the fine print, baby. It's $250 for the current episode and $100 for the older ones. And also if they tweet it out, right? They got to use the hashtag flirting with Bitcoin clips and post it on Noster for me to see it. Then I'll zap those same amounts. That's pretty generous, babe. Our listeners are pretty generous with their time making the clips. Well, isn't this just a lucrative love fest for us all? More like it pays to listen to the Flirting with Bitcoin podcast. It's time for shout outs. Each week we give a shout out to the top boost since the last episode. This episode, 1% of all sats are being split toward the spare wallet development. So for episode 70, thanks to Hunter SF770, Duggan Roop, and Zordon. Episode 71, shout out to MKers, Hunter SF770, and Cindy EO. So, Cindy, I left you a response to see what you wanted us to talk about to your daughters, but I haven't heard back from you. But I, this is for your daughters. First of all, you have a really cool mom and you should be embarrassed that she is on this on top of like Bitcoin more than you are. And 
So, like, step one, like, thank your mom for being so cool. How old are her daughters? Do we know? It doesn't matter. They could be 11. I don't care. I mean... They should appreciate and listen to their mom. Sure, but I think... As a mother myself. (laughs) I just think you should appreciate that your mom is, like, in the know, trying to help you understand money. I think that's a really important skill. And I will be completely honest, this is not something that my mom has had click for her yet. And so I think it's really cool to have... As a woman myself, to have like the woman that raised me, like try to teach me something like this, it's really important. So like, just keep an open mind. I don't know how old you are, but like, you better not be rolling your eyes at your mom when she's trying to talk to you about Bitcoin. Two, uh, listen to her podcast, like just humor her, you know, because she's trying to make sure that you're set up for success so that she doesn't have to worry about you. And that's the least you could do as her daughters. (laughs) Ian, do you have anything to add? Probably. (laughs) Um, And three, uh, I don't know if Cindy has said this directly, but like, if she's your mom, she's technically doing this for you. Right? Like, parents saving money, trying to pass it on, right? Like, your mom is in Bitcoin for you. And... Me as a Bitcoiner personally, like, that's pretty awesome. Like, I got my dad into Bitcoin, right? Like, I've gotten mom and his dad into Bitcoin. Like, it's usually the kids in this particular topic uh, getting the parents into it. But if your parent is already there, they did all the hard work for you already. It's just, you know, you're going to benefit from it whether you pay attention now or 10 years from now. Okay, I just checked because I was pretty sure. Cindy said her daughters are millennials, so y'all should know better. No, they're probably part of the yuppie elite. Fill up yuppie elite. Show show them that article, Cindy. It'll be, be in the show description notes. <laughs> Get it together, girls. I'm just going to start putting it in every show <laughs> at this point. Like, every show will have the yuppie elite link in it. Yeah, get it together. Uh, thanks for listening. Thanks, Cindy. And to all of our other Fountainheads, you guys have a great week. It's time to join the Fountainhead Nation. Go to fountain.fm to download the app onto your phone. Once you've installed the app and have set up your account, search for Flirting with Bitcoin and follow us. You should also be able to find and follow every other podcast you listen to as well. Listen to our show and episodes from your other favorite podcasts to earn your first sats, which are fractions of a Bitcoin. And keep an eye out for our promoted episodes on Fountain's homepage. We promote every episode so you can earn up to 100 sats just for listening. Yeah, that's right. Your attention's valuable to us. You're not just a set of earballs we've collected for advertisers. You can use the sats you've earned to send us a boost, which is like a little payment with a message. We are very active and respond to almost all the boosts we get. Every episode, we also give a shout out to the top boosters from the previous episode. And if you want to support us or other podcasters with more sats than you earn, you can top up your fountain wallet with a bank card or a lightning transfer from apps like Strike or Cash App. The easiest way to learn is to just get started. If you have any trouble or questions, go to support.fountain.fm. The team is extremely helpful and responsive. That's it. Now you're all set up for podcasting 2.0.